Well, thank you, Brother Ed, for leading us in worship this morning. It's good to have you back. And uh, for Brother Ray, leading us in a wonderful uh, communion thought, we really, really appreciate you. want to say good morning and welcome to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we want to let you know that you are our honored guest, and you're always welcome to this church whenever the doors are open, and we believe you've come to the right place because I don't think you'll find a finer church in all of Mission Viejo. Today we are going to continue on in our sermon series on the book of 1 John, And from last week, we told you that the book of John is five chapters long, and we are actually going to be covering one chapter a week through the month of November. So last week, we spent our time discussing how to walk in the light and how to remain purified through this wonderful spiritual discipline called confession. Today, in part two, we'll be talking about our involvement as Christians in the world. So the title of the sermon today is Do Not Love the World. Do Not Love the World. And as we begin this morning, I'd like to start off with a video clip. It's only about two minutes long, so you guys bear with me. And the sound is not the greatest, but I think you'll get the gist of what we're trying to communicate this morning. Without further ado, Mike. Colin, I need you to clean your room before you go outside. Thank you, Mom. Colin, what are you doing? I thought I told you to clean your room. I will, Mom. I'm just processing the information, translating it to a language I can better understand. Ooh, you better get on it. Dude, this is awesome cake. Dude, where'd you get this? I don't know. Colin, what are you doing? I thought I told you to clean your room. Who are all these kids? Um, Mom, this is my small group. We heard what you said about cleaning my room, and we decided to talk about it. Elion was just about to discuss what he would do to clean his room. Oh, Colin. So, Elion, share with us. Well, me personally, like to start with the toys and then the dirty laundry. Interesting. So back in college, my roommate Steve and I, we would dream about how we would uh, reach the entire world and help them to clean their rooms. First, we would begin in the Chicago area and we would move into... Colin, what in the world is going on here? What is Nate doing here? Mom, I'm trying to listen to Nate teach us how to better clean our rooms. We come week after week to listen how to clean our rooms better. We are such good cleaners you're coming to listen to them every Sunday. Mm. You know, Colin, it's one thing to say you're going to clean your room. I wish you would just do it. Please. You know, guys, my mom's right. We need to all go out and clean our rooms. Let's go. Hey! Hey! Where are you guys going? Hey, I still haven't shown the funny video. The band hasn't even played yet. We haven't even taken up the offering. Come back! <laughs> Alayla, did you pay attention to that clip? No, I'm just joking. 
Well, in this clip, we see a young man's mother uh, walking into his room while he is lounging, and she's saying to him, son, you need to, to clean your room. And instead of immediately cleaning his room like his mother uh, said, he decided, first of all, to pontificate on her words and to meditate on the words rather than actually carry out the words, right? And then the clip continues on, and then we find him uh, in his small group study, and they were having a small group study on what it would look like to actually clean his room, right? And then the final clip is they have a mock church or worship service in his room, and the preacher is talking about the importance of cleaning the rooms, and, and the young people are saying amen, and the problem is they're not actually executing or doing what the mother wanted him to do. The point is, Jesus wants us to obey his word rather than just reflecting on it, which we can all do very well. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to open up with me to 1 John chapter 2, and that's where we're going to take our study from this morning. And if you've got your Bibles, let's see. Let's do a Bible check. Raise your Bibles up or your iPads or your phones. Very, very good. Very good. Thank you for that. Uh, Alicia, just follow along with me. We're not putting anything up on the screen. I just want to read through this entire chapter as we begin to process and actually execute what, what the author is communicating in 1 John chapter 2. Follow along with me, will you? My dear children... I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This is the old command. It's the message that you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. It's, it's truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness, he does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Verse 12, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, 
the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, in this last hour, as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the, Father, uh, ha- denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father, and this is what he has promised, even eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. And let the church say, Amen. I love 1 John chapter 2 because it teaches us some very, very important principles on how not to be contaminated by the world. And I love what Ray said this morning. We're living in difficult times. Christian people are persecuted, and I believe it. We've always been persecuted. But today it just seems like there is something going on. There's something in the air that just makes being a Christian so hard today. So in chapter 2, we learn some things that might be able to help us combat the trickery that Satan provides or puts our way in order to cause us to try to love this world that we're living in. This first passage, 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 3, I'm going to skip around, so I'm just going to have you guys follow along with me on the slides and in your Bibles. I want to pull out a couple of things, and the first verse that I want to examine is this. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Historical history, facts here, what's going on? Well, the Apostle John was actually well advanced in age and years when he was writing this letter. Some say he might have been 80 years old and had been in Christian ministry for a very long time at this point. And he's writing actually in a fatherly style. And that says, uh, that makes sense, right? As you read through chapter 2, you see some of his language, father, son, so forth and so on. You children, he, he writes in a fatherly style, viewing his audience, his Christian audience, as, as his children in the faith. And what he's doing is he's pleading with them to remain pure and to not love the world. And he says, guess what? You know what? If you fall short and you make mistakes, we have an advocate 
in Jesus Christ. And we can be cleansed because his death took away our sins and also the sins of the entire world. And he makes it clear, just because you have been baptized, it doesn't mean that you're okay. And I think that's a message that we've got to make sure we continue to communicate to people. Just because you have been immersed in water and you've given your life to the Lord doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to be okay for the rest of your life. You still have to obey. And that's what he says in verse number three here. If you really know Jesus, it's not a matter of knowing his word and being baptized. It's a matter of obeying what he says to do. And that's how you really really know Jesus. Christian maturity is not based on age, but it's based on obedience. It's based on how well we imitate the life of Jesus in the world. And then we get to verse number six, this next one, which I really love. And if you haven't highlighted this text in your Bible, this passage, I would really encourage you to highlight this one or underline this one It is so, so powerful. John states that if someone claims that they know Jesus and doesn't keep his commandments, he uses very strong language. He says that person is a liar. And You know, as I was reading this text and pondering this, I I asked myself this question, how many times have I lied? Because I know the words of Jesus, but at times I just don't carry them out. And John says here, if we claim we know him and don't follow what he says to do, we are liars. Our lives have to match our words, and our words have to match our lives. So the question that I want to pose to you this morning as we kind of ponder this together, we've got to walk as Jesus did. And the question is, well, well, how do we do that in this broken world today? in this world that is so contaminated with sin and problems everywhere, how do we walk as Jesus did today? So if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you three, three points or three principles that we can follow that will help us answer the question of how do we walk as, as Jesus did. The first one is this. How do we walk as Jesus did? Well, we, we have to obey the second command. All right, The second greatest command. You know the first one. Love God. The second one is love others, right? So the second great command is we've got to make sure that we love others. And you know that Jesus spent three years in ministry showing his disciples how to love others. And if we want to walk as Jesus walked, we have to make sure that we are loving others as Jesus loved. You see, biblical knowledge is very, very important, but loving someone is even more important. I love what happened this weekend. Uh, this weekend, if you did not know, we had a pantry uh, party here at the church. And what that was designed to do was to clean up the pantry, put some of those uh, canned foods uh, in the closet back there, and to get ready to serve. So Alicia started this pantry project Friday. And as she was working, Cirilla showed up to come help out Alicia. And I thought that was so special and brought her two sons there. And they were cleaning up the closet. All of a sudden, I'm back there working on my lesson. And I hear a loud, boom. I thought we were in an earthquake or something like that. Turns out that the shelves that they had been working on for the past hour, stacking up the cans, turning the label, everything was in alphabetical order. Everything just collapsed. And Alicia was so frustrated 
She said they were doing all that work back there. They were working so hard, and then to have something like this happen. And she said, I don't know what to do. And then lo and behold, here come Bill and, and uh, I think Hal. And they came to come help and put the shells back together. They were nailing in stuff. And for me, as I got to witness this whole thing and hear about this whole thing, I said, wow, look at the love that is being shown amongst one another, helping each other out. And I said, that's how you imitate the life of Jesus. You love each other. You help each other out. And I want to thank everyone who was able to come out this past weekend to help with that pantry. I think that was so special. That was really encouraging. Keep up the good work. I also got to get a, I got a really cool email, and I may get in trouble from, from KN, but I got to share anyway. KN is doing some wonderful ministries, uh, and she told us about it. She's doing some ministries for orphans. She has a, a ministry called Hands and, and Feet, I believe, and, and she got to share with me how she's doing some sewing and putting together dresses for orphans and things of that nature in Africa. And I said, now that's how you walk like Jesus walked. That's, that's powerful. That's what it means. We've got to love other people. And the question is, how are we doing that. That's what it means. So we've got to obey the second command. What else do we have to do if we're going to walk as Jesus walked? Well, we have to make sure that we're good examples. If we want to walk like Jesus walked in the world, we have to be aware of our examples. Our example is all that we have, is what my father and mother used to tell me all the time. We must be careful with how we live our lives because our lives is what other people are watching, especially Christian people. Our lives might be the only Jesus that some people see. Our lives might be the only Bible that some people read. And we've got to be careful and mindful and watchful of our example, right? And parents, we know this all too well, don't we? We have to watch our examples, our example, because our kids pick up on any and everything and they will call you out, right? Layla and Izzy are very good at calling daddy out. We've got to watch our examples because that's all we have. And I can really destroy my children's faith if I'm not careful with how I live my life. Crush them, right? We've got to be mindful of that when it comes to other people. People are watching us, our neighbors, our family, our friends. How are we living our lives? Are we just talking a good game or are we actually manifesting it or living it out? And I know this all too well being a preacher too. You all are looking at my life. How is Jason living? What is his example like? And we have to be mindful of that if we are to walk as Jesus did in the world. Our biggest evangelistic tool, church, is our example. The biggest one. And I think we've got to be mindful of that. Well, how else do we walk as Jesus walked? Well, we've got to be mindful of this next passage. First John chapter 2 and verse number 15 says this. If we're going to walk like Jesus, we have to do this. We do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So if we are going to walk like Jesus walked in the world, if we're going to imitate him, we have to make sure that we don't love the world. You know, our faith can be number two in our lives or number three or number four if we're not careful with this one. Because what happens is our love for the world begins to trump our love for God. All of a sudden, we, we get too busy because we're involved with things in the world or we don't have time or our motivation or our thoughts or our attention is elsewhere rather than on our faith. 
We can spend so much time trying to climb the corporate worldly ladder, the success ladder, the happiness ladder, that we lose sight of what's most important in our lives. And that's why John here says, make sure, church, that you do not love this world. And that's tough. That's really hard. So uh, I think in order to, to understand how not to do this, we have to look at the way that Satan operates in the world. Satan uses three temptations to get us to love the world. Three temptations, okay? And if you can remember this, this will really benefit and bless your life. Satan tries to get us to love the world in three ways. Here's the three. First of all, the lust of the flesh. Now, you may be asking yourself, what is the lust of the flesh? I want you to be mindful and to think back in Scripture at, at, at the life of Jesus. You remember when Jesus was immersed and baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon him? The Bible says, then he went into the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil. And if you read that account in, I believe, Matthew chapter 4, you'll see Satan using these three principles to try to destroy and to tempt Jesus. But guess what? We also see those three principles being used in the Old Testament. If you look at the story of Eve and Adam and Eve in the garden, when Satan approached Eve, he used these very same three principles, okay? So this is not new. And he, Satan hadn't changed much. He still uses these three things today to tempt us to destroy our faith, okay? So what I want to do is spend some time just fleshing these three things out so that we have a good understanding. So when it comes to Satan trying to destroy us, we, we, can, we, can, we can fight back, okay? So the first thing that Satan likes to use is the lust of the flesh. You remember the story of Jesus? He was fasting, and he was out in the wilderness, and Satan said to him, command that these stones be made bread, right? And what was Satan speaking to in that situation? Well, he was speaking to the lust of the flesh. You know what the lust of the flesh is? It's temptations that satisfy the cravings of the physical body. God gives us our senses, sight, smell, touch, taste, hearing, so forth and so on. Lust of the flesh are things that are delightful to the senses, like, like food. Like, like drugs, like lasciviousness, like alcohol, so forth and so on. That is lust of the flesh, and Satan is really good at targeting those things. So he went up to Jesus and said, Jesus, we know you're starving. Turn these stones into bread. And what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? You know what he said. Man shall not live by bread alone, right? So he uses the lust of the flesh. What else does Satan use? Well, he uses the lust of the eye or the eyes. So what is the lust of the eyes? If you've ever spent time thinking through that, the lust of the eyes are a desire to possess what is appealing to us. This could be money, this could be physical goods, this could be the finer things in life. The lust of the eyes means we're always looking for something bigger and better and greater than what we already have. In Matthew chapter 4, uh, Satan tempted Jesus in, in the third temptation by using this. He took him onto a high mountain. You know what he said? You can have all of this stuff if you fall down and worship me. Jesus said, no, we, it's not how it's going to work. But Satan really tricks us with this, especially 
in, in, in our culture, in our region, down in the world. We can fall captive to lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes really quickly if we're not careful. And we've got to be mindful. And then lastly, the pride of life. And this, again, if you're reading from uh, the NIV or New American Standard Version, it doesn't use these same things. But if you're reading from the old school King James Church of Christ authorized version, right, you understand these. Amen? Pride of life. Well, what's the pride of life? It's the boasting about the things that you have. You know, some people make a career out of letting you know how important they are. It's called reality TV. Amen? You've, You've seen it, right? Make a career out of showing you how valuable and how important they are. And we can fall captive to this as well. And we see Jesus tempted in this way. When Satan said to him in Matthew chapter 4, he took him up to the temple and he said, throw yourself down. You're Jesus. You're the son of God. You know, you know the Lord is going to come and rescue you. And let's see you show us some of that, right? And Jesus could easily say, I'm going to show you how, how powerful and how strong I really am, right? So Satan uses these three temptations to trick us and to mace us up and to cause us to fall short. And we've got to be mindful of these things. And I think if we're mindful of these things, we'll be better equipped to not love the world because it's easy to love the world. The world is so beautiful, isn't it? Right? And it's easy to fall captive to that. But the Lord says, don't love the world or anything in the world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 23 says this. I've got a, I've got a challenge for you as we uh, close this morning. The scripture says here, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Um, You know, in the preceding verses, and I'm going to transition a little bit, so bear with me. In the preceding verses, we we hear and we read about warnings against the Antichrist. If you're reading in your Bibles and we read through that, there's been a lot made out of this verse, hasn't there? There's been uh, commentaries, there have been studies on who is the Antichrist, there are questions about how he functions, Uh, is it some mythological creature or creator that lives in the world? Uh, Is the Antichrist some kind of evil philosophy or theology that people can become entrapped by? Here's what the Antichrist is, if we're going to keep it real plain and simple, like we say in the army. The Antichrist is anyone who denies the existence and the power of God through Jesus Christ. It's not some mythological creature with... The Antichrist might be your next-door neighbor. If I'm reading the text right, anyone who denies God is the Antichrist. That's what Scripture is communicating here. That's my interpretation. (laughs) You may believe it otherwise, but anyone who doesn't believe in the power of God, the glory of God, who denies the existence of God, denies the existence of Jesus Christ, is the Antichrist. So what does that mean to us Christians today? It means that we've got to make sure that we acknowledge that God is alive and that Jesus Christ is his son. And we can't be ashamed and we can't be scared about it. Right? 
And that's why this life is so challenging. Alayla was telling me a story. She was at Kids Factory the other day, and uh, some of the leaders were playing some music that had some curse words in it and some misogyny in it. And Alayla, I'm so proud of her, she has some of her daddy's Christian music on her iPhone. And she begins to play some of that because she said, my daddy said, I can't listen to those words. And it was some Christian music. It was Lecrae. And it might have been a little teach on there, right? You know what the leader said to Alayla, you got to turn that down because we can't listen to religious music here. Oh, but you can listen to misogyny. And you can listen to obscenities, but you can't listen to Christian music. I have a problem with that. So what Scripture says is as Children of God, we've got to acknowledge him wherever we go, and we can't be ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? So this this morning, I want to give you some practical ways, because some of you, you know, I understand it. uh, You're not as bold as you want to be. That's a challenging thing for you in the line of work that you're in. You don't know how to go about doing that. I understand that. So this morning, here's the personal challenge. This week, I want you to acknowledge Jesus more than you normally do, okay? That's the personal challenge. And I want to give you some ways on how you can do this without, you know, being so vocal and loud like I am. I'm the preacher. That's what I'm supposed to do, okay? So I understand that some of you are in different lanes and different situations, so you have to do it in a different way. So I'm going to show you how you can do this, okay? So how do we acknowledge Jesus every day? The first thing that we need to do is we need to be aware of the language that we use, now, I'm not saying four-letter words because I know none of you use that language at all. I, I, I know it, okay? So I'm not talking about that unless it's love, okay? So I, I get that. But we've got to watch the language that we use. Now, I grew up in the South, and you know one way that we communicated that you were a Christian or not a Christian was by just some of the language that you use. See, my grandmama used to say all the time, if the Lord wills, and that was a cue that she was a Christian lady. It was strategic, She did that on purpose. I never got it until later on. We used to go to the mall. Well, we'll see you later, Mrs. Darden, if the Lord wills. She was saying, Jesus loves you, and he's alive, and you need to hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. All by saying, if the Lord wills, right? Strategic. I thought that was really powerful. Uh, Other language that we need to be aware of that we can use to acknowledge Jesus Christ. God bless you. But don't mean it in the sarcastic way like some of us do, right? But use that language. God bless you. Thank you so much. God God sure is good. You know what that does to some people? But what you're doing is you're acknowledging, you're preaching the gospel just by saying that. God bless you. If the Lord wills, Lord willing, those are subtle words that we can use to acknowledge Jesus every day. Many of you are on email all the time, right? and you have that little uh, closing sentence or statement, you can use that, can't you? Instead of sincerely, or whatever else we say, thank you, uh, whatever. You know what I put? Blessings. (laughs) I want people to know, blessings. Or I write my email and then I say, in him, right? And that is all subtle clues that, hey, you're acknowledging that Jesus is alive and he's a well and that you're a Christian. One other term that I use, I use Godspeed all the time. And somebody wrote me back and said, what is Godspeed? I said, you know what? Let me go look that up. (laughs) I'm not quite sure. Oh, okay. It means say passage. Okay, I, I, I get it. But those are all subtle words and language that we can use to acknowledge Jesus Christ. And the Lord is 
happy when we do that. Whoever confesses before me, me before men, I'll confess before my Father in heaven. That's what he says, right? So there are all kinds of strategic ways that we can acknowledge Jesus by being aware of the language, the subtle language that we use. And I would encourage you to use some of that this week, right? Use some of that. What else can we do to acknowledge Jesus? We can give reasons for why we do and don't do what we do. Give a reason. Why do we not engage in certain activities with our friends and colleagues? Sometimes we get embarrassed by that and we just say, you know what? I, I can't go and be a part of that, or no thank you, I'll pass, right? But what we can say is, you know what, I don't engage in stuff like that because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and my faith doesn't allow me. And that's kind of strong, isn't it? I know some of you guys are like, well, I don't know if I really want to go there yet, okay? Well, just say, you know, my faith doesn't, doesn't allow me to engage in that. And what you're doing is you're preaching the gospel just by saying that. It's powerful, or you say, you know, I'm a Christian. I can't function in that light. Or Scripture tells me something else. And those are all subtle ways that we can acknowledge him. We give an explanation for why we do or don't do certain things. Well, Jason, why do you, why do, you do this? Well, because, you know, I love the Lord, and the Lord tells me that, you know, I should probably function in this way. All subtle ways. And then lastly, the one that I, I really appreciate, and then we'll be done here. How do we acknowledge Jesus? Nonverbal communication is really powerful, too. Really, really powerful. You see, a couple of years ago, there was this, uh, this big movement, uh, and it was the, uh, the bumper sticker movement, where you had a whole theological debate on the back of your car. Have you, you, guys, you, you, have you seen that, right? First, it was the fish, right? Uh, and, and then there was the Darwin with the fish had some feet, right? And then the next one was a fish with some teeth. <laughs> you know, it was just, just, just a theological discussion without saying any words. And I, you know, I, I appreciate that, you know. One of the things that I think that was so neat that Don did for our church is uh, he pressed up some, um, some um, stickers for the back of our cars that says love in action, right? And I love those stickers. I love that little nonverbal communication because what it's saying is, hey, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. And don't you feel better when you're stuck in traffic and you see somebody with the bumper sticker, I love Jesus in front of you, right? Or if you tap the back of their car like I did, you know they're a Christian, so it's going to be okay, right? Don't you, you appreciate that, right? When others acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, or what about t-shirts? You can wear a t-shirt. I love God. Mission Viejo Church of Christ. We probably need to get some more of those, amen? Another thing that I do is when I'm in the army, people know I'm a chaplain, so I'm already at a disadvantage because I wear a big cross on my hat and on my shirt. But when I was an infantry soldier, I used to leave my Bible on my office desk. So when people walked in, they knew, right? They knew, and we can all do that, right? The other thing that was really popular, uh, I guess, back in the, the uh, 90s was the WWJD bracelets. You remember that? What, what would Jesus do? And people would wear those bracelets, and you already had that camaraderie and that feel. Others wear a, a cross at times to let you know that they know that Jesus Christ is Lord, King of Kings. Or you can take the in and out approach. You guys like In-N-Out Burger? You know what In-N-Out does. They put it at the bottom of the cup, John 3, 16, right? And you can see all the Christian people in and out because they lift up the cup. They go, amen, right? <laughs> amen. You know, I'm just sharing with you today that the Lord wants us to acknowledge him. He says, don't love the world. But sometimes because we love the world so much, we're kind of scared sometimes when it comes to acknowledging him and letting people know. And that's what the Lord wants us to do. Church, don't love the world. Don't do it. 
This thing is going to end. That nice car, that nice house, that nice stuff, it's all going to be gone. You can't take it with you, right? You can't take it with you. Don't love the world. And make sure that you acknowledge Jesus wherever you go. And that's what John was communicating to his audience in chapter 2 of 1 John. Don't love the world and acknowledge the Lord wherever you go. By way of invitation, we have a song selected this morning. If there is anyone here that needs prayer, would like to put the Lord on in baptism, we give you an opportunity to come at this time together while we stand and sing. There's a 